Hello and welcome to the Selfish Podcast. Today we have Ashley Hollick and she's going to share her life and her journey. And she's a motivational coach and a woman of Maui talents and I'm really excited to hear more about her and get to know her. So hi Ashley, can you just share where in the world you are and what time of day is it for you? Hi, yes. Um, thank you for having me. So I am in Central Texas in the United States and it is 11.30 here right now. Nice. Yeah, I'm I'm in Spain and it's uh what time is it? It's 5:30 in the afternoon. And I just love at this time and this age that we can connect in an instant around the world. When I was a child, it was like fascinating to think of the idea of a pen pal. I never had one. But now right. to just connect to people all around the world in an instant is beautiful. Exactly. Yeah. And we actually we just moved to Texas from San Diego, California, um, back in fall of 2020. And, you know, moving away from everyone, it was a little bit scary. But the crazy thing is that I connect with so many people online that I've never felt lonely, you know, in that move because yeah. I, I have everyone available, you know, at my computer on my phone. Yeah, no, it's, um, I live a very remote lifestyle and I'm pretty much sort of like what someone would say is off grid most of the time. So I don't interact with a lot of people unless I go to the shops, but online I can have a vast network of friends and, and people to connect with in an instant, which is amazing. Yes. So I really like to know people's lives and their journey and I like to get to the, the beginning of your life. So I really want to hear about your childhood. Can you paint me a picture of what life was like, say, pre 10 years old? Yeah, definitely. So my parents had me when they were pretty young. They were about 19 and 20. And, you know, they worked really hard, both of them, and sent me to a private Catholic school where I went for until I think sophomore year. Yeah, sophomore year. It's where I, I transferred out. Um, it was kind of, if I'm being honest, it was kind of a lonely childhood. I was an only child. Uh, my sister was born when I was 12, but you know, that whole, the first 12 years, I didn't have a sibling and hmm. um, I wasn't really popular, I guess you would say at school. So there was a lot of uh, bullying, not like physical bullying, but just a lot of, you know, emotional bullying, which when you're a little girl is you know, just as bad. So it was kind of lonely growing up. I did have some fun summers um, at Girl Scout camps and like YMCA camps, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, but nice. yeah, what then, did your parents do? So my mom was working in like admin. I'm not even sure exactly what she did, but she was like in administration. Um, and then when my sister was born at when I was 12, she became a stay-at-home mom and stayed home with my my sister. And my dad was a computer engineer. So when when I was first born, he was still going to school. He went to UCSD, um, which is a really nice school in California, and started getting really good jobs as an engineer and worked it into it. Oh, nice. And yeah. like you mentioned school had, you got bullied and that, but how did you find the sort of the rest of school? How did you find education and how was your school life? Um, so I was not the best student. <laughs> I definitely was like an A, B student, mostly B's. And then, you know, with C's thrown in there, but the C's were basically F's, you know, like getting a C at, at school was still not really good. And, you know, there's so much pressure to, to make straight A's and, uh, get into a good high school. Because when you're, when you go to Catholic school, you basically went to either the all girl high school or the all, all boy high school, or you went to the co-ed Catholic school and, you know, they had really high standards. You had to be a well-rounded student. So it was a lot of pressure and, you know, I tried really hard. I'm not sure why exactly I, you know, was still kind of like a B average student and, you know, that's totally acceptable now, but back then it was, you know, the disappointment <laughs> of not getting those straight A's and it probably had a lot of, lot to do with uh, the social aspect of school, how, you know, I was a little bit traumatized and it was probably hard for me to study when, you know, I was probably had a little bit of anxiety and depression, you know? Yeah. Do you remember the first thing you wanted to like do or be when you was older at that age, like your first ambition? I wanted to be a ballerina. <laughs> nice. I think like part of me was like, I need to be a doctor or lawyer. And, you know, I never, I never really actually wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer. I just felt like this pressure to 
like that's what you had to do if you wanted to be successful was be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, but I, I always wanted to, I wanted to dance. I wanted to help others. So I thought about, you know, being a like psychiatrist or psychologist and. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So your ambition from an early age was to, they said to help others. And do you have any, did you, did you do any dance? Did you get into ballet or it was just a dream? Yes, I did do ballet. Um, I was in classes and even in high school, I, I did ballet and I was trying to get my parents to send me to like a ballet camp <laughs> over yeah. the summer where it's like you do ballet four to seven hours a day. It's really intense. And they didn't send me. It was really expensive as dance usually is, um, which is probably for the best because even when I was doing ballet just a few times a week, it was very intense. The culture is not very good for for young women you know there's a lot of pressure to be perfect to be very uh small and skinny and it's kind of unhealthy and toxic but you know I did I did have a lot of fun dancing it was really nice to just kind of um get lost in it and it was kind mm. of a relief from you know the social aspect of life yeah, I think it's important when we're young to get any form of movement that we can, whether it's a sport or dance, but to get our body just flowing and moving. And I know like ballet, like you said, it's got a, a stigma attached to it of extreme strictness, especially yeah. if someone's going to, they're trying to push you to actually be a professional in that area. Yes, yeah. And I did I did do sports um, just to do the sports because I wanted to, you know, be active and hang out with my friends. So I always played every single sport. I was just not very good at all of them. I never wanted to get hurt. <laughs> there was an incident where one of our um, our classmates, she got really, she hurt her knee. She like tore her, she tore something in her knee when we were like eight or nine and like the ambulance had to come and it was pretty traumatizing. And I was like, that I don't want that to happen to me. So I never pushed myself really hard in sports because I was like, no, I'm I'm good. I don't want to get injured. So yeah, that participate, but not... Because- there's a lot of injuries in ballet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. And it, it may be the bullying, but what, what comes to mind first when I say what was your earliest struggle in life? Um, I think it was that definitely, like trying to find my place and, uh, you know, always just wearing a mask and trying to people please and make other people happy or make other people like me and, uh, you know, kind of not acting like my myself like my true authentic self so i think that was definitely the struggle was just trying to find my place in the yeah. world as myself yeah and was this something you shared with anyone did you tell your parents about this or you just kept it to yourself um i i pretty much kept it to myself i've told my mom some things recently like you know they made fun of me for having really bushy eyebrows i'm half mexican so naturally a little more dark hairy <laughs> and my mom wouldn't let me get my eyebrows waxed even when the other girls were doing it in like sixth grade it was and I didn't tell her that they were making fun of me at the time and uh you know I, I told her because my sister's 12 years younger and she let my sister do it really young and I was like oh you know I was getting made fun of because of my eyebrows and he kept saying no you don't need to do it <laughs> so I've like I've told her now but I think uh, when you're little, it's, you don't want to, I didn't want them to feel pain or sadness for me. And, you know, I was, I was scared to tell them, I guess. Yeah. And I can re- relate with that with not wanting to share things when I was going through issues when I was a child, I didn't want to share them with my dad because when I, my parents were separated and every time I got to see my dad, it was always the opposite and it was really nice. So I hid everything that was bad. Um, because I didn't want to hurt him and I think it's uh, it's incredible how intuitive a child is to want to protect their parents because mm-hmm. they're looked at as the vulnerable ones but they're quite uh, they said like, we seem to have a very strong nature from a very young age to, to actually love and care for our parents in that way yeah. yeah and what what did you find I know you said ballet came in and that helped a little bit did you have anything back then that did help you say cope or get through the day with the pressure you was feeling um not for a long time. I think um, I did a lot of the the negative coping mechanisms, you know, in high school, started drinking and smoking and kind of dealing with it that way. Um, I think once I was, you know, 
I, I ended up in an abusive relationship too, from 16 to about 19. And when I was about 21 is when I think I started finally taking care of myself and, you know, doing positive things for myself and, uh, changing my mindset and really starting to do that personal development and eating healthy, exercising, things like that. But when I was a teenager, it was kind of, kind of just a whirlwind of negative, negative coping mechanisms and, um, and struggling. Yeah. So you said you got into a a sort of toxic and uh, abusive relationship from 16 to 19. And I've spoke to a few people that have had that issue and in different parts of their life. And they look back and they're like, all the signs were there at the beginning. It's just they was unaware of the signs. Was there signs that you see now in that relationship that someone could sort of look out for? Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, so when we, when I met this person, um, I was already going through um, some trauma. I had been, you know, sexually raped by a a friend in our group and I was I was struggling with that I had a lot of depression about it and when he met me he kind of could tell that something was wrong and he you know hung out with me a little bit and then got me to tell him and so he kind of preyed on that like he saw that I was I was weak and suffering and he fed me you know those false lies like oh I'll protect you I'm never gonna hurt you I'll never let anything happen to you again and, you know, I'm a 16-year-old girl. And I'm like, okay, someone's going to help me and save me and protect me and stuff. And so that was the first first sign, I guess. Um, and then the other signs were just like the little pieces of control. Um, telling me, uh, like, bad things about my friends. Like, oh, they're not really a good influence on you. Or just talking trash about my friends and trying to get me to see that I shouldn't hang out with them. Um telling me how he liked things like saying, I really like your hair when it's straightened and kind of just telling me these little pieces of how he liked my hair's obviously I'm Mexican. It's naturally very curly and wild. (laughs) And so he would tell me, I like your hair straightened. And so it was um, a lot of like emotional abuse as well. Just trying to get me to confine to like his standards and I felt that if I didn't do those things that he, he wouldn't like me or he would like someone else more. Um, and so it's definitely those, those little pieces of controlling and, you know, it started to expand further and further um, where he didn't want me to see my friends. He, I went to SDSU uh, my first year of college and that's when the physical abuse actually started was when I moved out of my parents' house. And we were together a lot more and I wasn't always grounded, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't let me go to class. And it wasn't like uh, holding me down, like you can't go out, but it was m- more of like the man- manipulative, um, like if you go, I'm going to be really upset with you. And, you know, there's already that threat of, am I, is it going to get physical? So it started with the little pieces of control and then it kind yeah. of expanded and expanded. Yeah, and that from what I've heard from other people's stories on similar things is that seems to be the way it seems to happen almost every time is there's like little elements across and slowly isolating that person away from basically mm-hmm. their support structure and people that would tell them otherwise and they slowly isolate them, take them from friends then take them from family and then guilt them emotionally. And like you said, with always a hint of a physical abuse. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then normally that manifests uh, as well as it, as it as it keeps going. So I'm so happy to hear you got out of it and you can speak about it. It's beautiful. You can actually share because for so many, when they've been through them sort of things, even uttering the words is extremely difficult. Yes. Yeah. It took, it took a while. I'm like 32 right now. So I did keep a lot of it a secret. You know, that was another thing that I didn't tell my parents because I just didn't want it to hurt them. And I didn't want them to, feel sad for me (laughs) um so I did like keep it from my parents and you know there's a lot of shame around it because I ended up flunking out of SDSU because I wasn't able to go to my classes and I was you know in such a traumatic relationship that I just I didn't even care at that point um and so they kind of don't even know why I flunked out they just think it was because I just didn't do well um but I still couldn't really bring myself to to tell them so 
Yeah. How did, how did you get out of the relationship? Um, so the, so there's like two pieces to that. So the abuse stopped because of one incident. Um, there was one time when he, you know, was beating on me and I was like on my back on the bed and, um, he was like on top of me or standing up over me and, I like, I describe it as I saw red and I kind of like blacked out. Um, and, uh, I guess my subconscious kicked in and started fighting back and I was in, I was still doing ballet at the time. So I had very strong legs <laughs> and I just started kicking out like to get him off and get away from me. And I was freaking out. I think I was like screaming and he put, he's kind of saw that I was no longer there that I was totally freaking out and he put his hands up to stop me and say stop 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 and while his hands were extended out um I kicked his hands and he started screaming and I snapped out of it and he went to the hospital and I had shattered two bones in his wrist from kicking him Hmm. and so that was kind of the incident that stopped he never touched me again and you know I'm very proud of that piece of me that actually finally stood up because it was getting to the point that if I didn't get out, you know, I was going to end up extremely injured or dead because it was getting progressively worse. It had been about 10 months of weekly beatings and they were getting worse and worse. I was having bigger bruises. I was um, being put unconscious, things like that. So I'm very proud of myself for for standing up and for fighting back and ending that. Um, but I was still very, you know, emotionally attached. I was in love and I had been, you know, manipulated for three and a half years at this point. And it took a while to sever that emotional bond, that toxic emotional bond that we had. Um, I would say about another year and a half, um, it's kind of, it was kind of very a messy blurred ending you know we were seeing other people things like that and he would pop into my life every once in a while uh, one time he found out where I was working I was uh, cocktail waitressing at you know a bar in one of the beach towns and he found out where I was working and then he started kind of coming around um, against my wishes I told him not to because I didn't I was done with it, you know? And so, yeah, so it was kind of a blurred, messy ending. Um, And then finally I just realized I'm worth so much more and totally cut off contact and blocked him on, on every um, social media part. And yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The story as horrible as the story is, it's interesting to me. It's fascinating. And also uh, a, one of resilience and strength to persevere through them sort of things. And I think it's inspiring for others to hear. But I also, like I've, uh, my partner, Danielle, my love, she was in a very long term, really extremely abusive relationship as well. And we've had lots of in-depth conversations about it and really helped open my eyes up and my sight to, I used to see when someone's in that relationship and then you're sort of like, yeah, but why don't you just get out? And especially when people go back after a certain amount of time, because it's really hard to comprehend when you've never been in that situation that someone will keep going back to someone that's extremely abusive but they don't like you said the emotional bond that's there and for her when we was talking a big part of it was like there was always a little glimmer of hope that maybe he would change maybe she could be the one to change him or fix him or this won't be permanent was that something like you can relate to um yes i thought that he could change but i think a big piece of it is that by the time it got to the physical abuse there had been so much manipulation and, you know, he totally took away my self-worth. He completely degraded me. He made me completely lose myself. You know, when he was done with me, I was just like a ghost of the person that I was. So I think that's a big part of um, people who are abusive is that they know how to break a person down and make them so reliant on them and make them question everything about themselves. Um, So he weakened me, you know, (laughs) he completely weakened me and took away my support system, took away my friends and my family, um, took away my self-worth so that, 
all I knew was, was him. And, you know, I didn't feel strong enough anymore. And I, I would say that I was a strong person before, but, um, after just years of being completely degraded, you know, there was like little, every little thing, like he would tell me that I needed to lose weight. I was, you know, I was 115 pounds and I'm five, four. So I was perfectly fine when I was 17. Mm -hmm. I was a great weight, but he told me this so many times that in like one year, you know, freshman year, you're supposed to get, gain the freshman 15. I actually lost 15 pounds and I weighed just under a hundred pounds at five, four, because he just kept telling me that uh, I would look better if I lost weight, you know? So it was just all these little things that um, he manipulated me to and belittled me um, about everything, you know? And it took, it took a long time to rebuild myself after that. Um, you know, I wasn't allowed to leave the house if I wasn't wearing, like if I wasn't properly dressed, if I, my hair wasn't straightened and my makeup wasn't done. And like that took me a long time to be able to leave the house in like sweats, even if I was just going to, you know, the the store down the street, you know, that took me a long time to get over. And even when I met my now husband, like seven years later, it was when we were in a relationship when I did it for the first time. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it took a long time to get over those triggers. Yeah. And that's why I actually was really curious about next. And you sort of told me the time frame there seven years later. Cause when I, when I met my love Danielle, she was a few years out of the relationship, but she was in a position where the, the, the guy had just destroyed her image of the males in, in complete, like she just, she didn't, she'd talk to him, be friends with him, but she had no instinct in wanting to be in a relationship. And we became friends first. Um, but she was in a place where like he had just tarnished that and she'd just been getting her worth back, getting into exercise and just really taking care of herself. Um, so how, how was your image of sort of males afterwards and how, how did it, how did it work to get, how did it feel to get back into a relationship? Oh yes. So I can relate to your love. <laughs> I <laughs> swore off dating. I swore off love. I, you know, at 21, I, declared I was never going to get married, that I was never going to have children. Um, I just, I never wanted to get in a relationship again because of the damage that had been done. And I hadn't been in a lot of relationships. I had been in like three under six month relationships in high school um, before this one started at 16. So at 20, 21, I decided never again. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was kind of my thought process for a long time. Um, I did, I met someone when I was, I think I was like 24 and, you know, I told him, nope, I'm not getting married. I'm not, I don't want children and I don't even want a boyfriend. And, you know, he just kept telling me how much he liked me and that he was falling in love with me and he really wanted to be with me and blah, 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 going on and on. And I kept telling him for, you know, months, like two or three months, like I would get in these like small relationships, but I, I would never put a title on it. I would never make it official. And then I would usually do something to like, I would ghost them or do something to mess it up or just tell them I was done or whatever. And so finally this guy convinced me and I was like, okay, fine, we can, we can date. And so we did for like a few more months and then the relationship ended. He was just he was not being as nice as he was. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to deal with this. I didn't even want to be in this relationship. And mm. I ended it. And, um, and then we ended up reconnecting. Um, my, my father got diagnosed with uh, terminal stomach cancer and he passed within six months. And I invited this ex-boyfriend to the funeral. Cause he had met my, my parents and my parents had a, met anyone I dated in a long time because that didn't exist. And yeah. so I invited him and he came and he was very sweet and we kind of rekindled and started talking again. And then one night we were out, I think, cause we were, we were like 23. We were out in, at a bar and drinking, which was friend's house. And he got really angry about something, something, something really silly. And he shoved me up against a fridge uh, really hard. And, you know, I like kept my composure that night because we'd been drinking and I couldn't drive back to my house. The next morning I went home, I cried hysterically in the shower 
I think I even took like a little piece of Xanax that someone had given me after my, my dad died uh, to kind of help with the anxiety, but I hadn't taken it before. And I was like, so stressed out. I took a little piece of the Xanax. And then, you know, the next day I told him, I was like, look, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing this again. I'm not going down that road. Um, so I ended it there, but you know, my dad dying and watching my mom take care of him, um, in those last six months really kind of just made me start breaking down my walls because I saw my mom caring for him. And I, I thought, you know, what if something happens to me, you know, he got stomach cancer and he was a healthy guy and it just came on really suddenly. He was only 44. And I was like, what if it's, you know, genetic? What if I have stomach cancer in 20 years and I'm still not married because I swore off love and there's no one there to take care of me. And, you know, it kind of opened me up to the possibility of like, okay, maybe I can, you know, find a healthy relationship. And so I put down those walls and six months later, um, very randomly, I was with my, my roommate and we met some of her friends at at a bar after being somewhere else. And I met my now husband <laughs> so nice. like six months after I, I put down my walls, I met my husband. And then six months later, we were pregnant with our first kiddo, um, got married a few years later. And now we'll be, I think it's eight years, eight or nine years together <laughs> in October. Oh, nice. Congratulations. And yeah. Yeah, it's so nice that you opened your walls and so quickly everything changed. Yeah. And you said, yeah. Have you got one child or we have two now. So we have a, a six-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. Uh, I was just curious because you said you was an only child for so long. I thought, I wonder whether you would want to have made sure your other one had a had another child to grow up with or not. Was that a, a motivation for you? Yes. So what's funny is my husband, he's um, one of five. So he's got an older brother and then three younger sisters. They're all two years apart. So, you know, a lot of, lot of children in their house. And then me, obviously, had my one sister. And so after we had our first kid and, you know, we're talking about the second one, uh, cause I went from, when he met me, I was still saying, I'm not getting married and I'm not having kids. <laughs> <laughs> and so obviously that changed pretty quickly. And then, um, I started saying, Oh, I want five kids. I want five kids. And he was like, no, no, let's just, let's just have two. Let's have two. <laughs> cause he kind of grew up in a crazy house, you know, with having all these siblings and stuff. And, um, and then I grew up kind of lonely. And so we both wanted the opposite. Um, and then when we had our second child at about six months, I could, I could tell that he was very wild. <laughs> I could tell that he was going to be our wild, crazy child. And my husband's the second born as well. And he was very wild and <laughs> out there. And so like talking with his mother-in-law or with my mother-in-law, she's like, oh yeah, she's, he's just like Drew. He's just like him. So I decided that two was good. Um, you know, I'm the one who's home with them most of the time and my husband works. So I'm always outnumbered. So I was like, two is good. If we have, if we have more, I'm going to be even more outnumbered. And so now we've decided on two. <laughs> so for now it's two. Yes. Well, that we're done. We're definitely done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And how was, how, how does that feel now? Like having children and being married and like, compared to thinking that would never happen like how does that feel for you oh it feels it feels so right <laughs> it's you know it it took a while to get here but I've been healing and changing so much and um you know first becoming a mom it's it's such a transition because you know I was 25 and I got pregnant and you know, I'd had a really epic 25th birthday. We had done so many like wild activities, gone to concerts and pool parties and all this stuff. And so I was still very much, and I was, I was bartending and serving in bars and stuff. So I'm still very much living that <laughs> wild lifestyle, I guess. Um, so transitioning to having a baby was kind of difficult and, you know, lost some friends in the process. Um, none of my friends had kids at the time. So it was kind of just like a very hard transition. And for a couple of years, I kind of just lost myself in being a mom. And that was all I really did was try to be the best mom that I could. And I kind of lost a part of my identity again. And like my passions kind of became just being a mom or 
what's what best can I do for my kid? Like what activities are we going to do today? Um, things like that. So the last couple of years, it's been more of a journey of finding myself again and just really getting connected to what I want and how I want to make an impact on the world. Oh, nice. And going back to just before you had kids and like from the age of uh, when you came out of the other relationship, like you said, you dated once and then not too long after when you was 24, 25, you met your now husband. What what techniques or what things did you find in that time to rebuild that worth and value of yourself up to that point? Um, so the first thing that I did, because when I was, you know, I obviously had a really bad PTSD and depression and anxiety. I did try going to a therapist, um, but I, I went to a man and I felt like he wasn't really listening to me and just coming out of that relationship um, and talking to a man didn't feel right to me either. And he kind of just immediately prescribed some, um, I, I think he gave me a d- antidepressant an antipsychotic and like a sleeping pill. So he just prescribed me all these medicines and they ended up making me feel a lot more depressed and suicidal. And so I, I think I only did them for like a month and then I quit cold Turkey had those brain zaps that people talk about. Um, and the first step into like my healing was one day when I was just, you know, I was crying in my bed. I was singing Adele really loudly (laughs) because I was just, you know, weeping. And I just decided I made a decision to start smiling more. I said, you know what, maybe if I start smiling, it'll make me feel happy. Other people will think I'm happy instead of like this depressed um, abused person. And so that was the first step was I started smiling more and, you know, I've studied a little bit of NLP and it's actually called biofeedback when you do things like that to like trick your mind into believing something other than you're feeling. So I started smiling more and, um, I actually cut out watching the news. This was, you know, back before the news was all over Facebook, but I stopped watching it online. I stopped reading articles online and watching it on the TV um, because I was so, I was so uh, like sensitive at the time that hearing all the bad news, because the news is only bad news right? yeah. <laughs> and hearing all of that was just so, it was so heavy for me. I felt every single story. I felt everyone's pain. And so I cut out the news and started focusing on just like positive things and you know, the po- the power of positive thinking. Um, so that was what helped me in the beginning, the first five years, um, focusing on eating healthier. Um, I wasn't eating very healthy uh, at the, that time, you know, eating a lot of fast food with my friends and um, wasn't really exercising. So I just started going to the gym, eating healthier and feeling good on the inside. And then... Um, a few years ago is when I, I started healing even more. Um, started reading a lot of personal development books. I started a gratitude practice. Uh, started waking up before the kids and focusing on myself, meditating, yoga, those sorts of things. Oh, nice. It's nice, nice to hear. And there's so many people that I speak to, some who have had, like everyone I see, their sort of traumas that they had, uh, uh, each to their own. Like there's no sort of measurement of who's had it worse or better. It's just like whatever someone's biggest trauma is for them is their biggest trauma. But the paths to change in that seem to be vast. Like there's so many ways. And now with the ability we have of information, like it's easier to find even people hearing what you just shared. And smiling was a big part of my journey. And I spent, I had over like 20 years of depression and I used to have chronic fatigue, insomnia, and my mom had severe schizophrenia my whole life. And I used to take care of her from a child, but that co- caused me to really question the, the world and life and made me suicidal from a young age and all sorts of issues it caused. Um, but that also implanted that I wasn't happy. So I never smiled and I wouldn't be in a picture because I didn't want to see that reflection of myself. Cause I was like, why, you know, and not being authentic was always an issue for me. I always wanted to be my true self and be authentic. And when someone says like smile for the camera, I'd be like, uh, no, <laughs> I yeah. can't do it. I was like, that's not real. That's you, you're trying to make me fake. And I really couldn't stand it. it made me so angry. Any chance yeah. I got I'd run behind the camera and take the picture. And um, whereas now it's like, 
I challenge myself all the time, like how hold, how long can I hold a smile for? Yeah, can I, mm-hmm. So I like go for my morning walk every morning. I do like a routine with like exercise similar to like yoga and Tai Chi and Kaigong. And mm-hmm. I, I go for a walk and I just smile and I try and hold that smile for like a long time. And you, it's really hard to continuously smile. And it's really interesting the thoughts that can arise at the beginning process. And, and I've shared this with other people. I notice like a lot of people, they start to smile and the thought arises what you got to smile about <laughs> and like mm-hmm. the downplaying of it and it's like there's all these imprints within us of all our experiences that are you know trying to set the pattern that's already existed but if you're trying to change that pattern you need to change something and like i said just posture smiling can do wonders um so yeah anyone listening like just smile more often it does make a difference especially yeah. when you can smile at a person as well. And you see it change. Like I used to look the other way when people walk down the street or walk past me, you know, I'd look downwards oh. or not make eye contact. I didn't want the interaction. Uh, whereas now if someone's walking along and they're coming past me, I'll look in, in the eyes and give them a little smile or say hello or say good day. And like in an instant, their whole body posture changes. They smile back and you see how powerful that actually is. Yeah. I love that. I love that. <laughs> and it's, it's funny because, I, I smile all the time. <laughs> I smile about everything. Like I even smile, you know, if I'm angry, I smile. <laughs> if I'm uncomfortable, um, my husband and me, when we went on our honeymoon to Belize, we went uh, zip lighting and I am terrified of heights. Very, very terrified. And I ended up having to go with the instructor. Like he had to go behind me because he gave me a set of instructions. <laughs> We're like zipline over a river, over the jungle. <laughs> and I was like, you have to go with me because I have no idea what you're saying. And I'm freaking out. <laughs> so we went across and I'm smiling. And the guy who's with my husband is like, oh, look, she's having a great time. Because it took us forever to actually get on the line. And my husband told the guy, he's like, oh, no, that's her. Oh, smile like yeah. like I know her and that that she is not having a good time she's freaking out and I was and I actually ended up having a panic attack like when we when we landed I my fingers were stuck my hands were stuck I couldn't open my hands and yeah so I'm having a panic attack and smiling <laughs> and smiling it's interesting because yeah. it's a bit it's a bit like do you know when someone like I don't know if your parents did it parents seem to do these things to children a lot for some reason when they like tickle the belly or the sides of your ribs like to the point you're crying laughing and uh-huh. the child's begging you to stop because it's not pleasurable but it looks like you're having so much fun <laughs> yeah. seems like you've got something like that going on like when you get so uh, built up a, a lot of a lot of laughter and smiles comes out <laughs> yeah how, how do you how do you think your younger self say at like 15 years old if they were to meet you now and who you are now and how you carry yourself what do you think your younger self would think about you I think that they'd be very proud uh they might think that some of the things that I do are a little strange um I do have a lot of little woo aspects to myself so I think they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to understand um but I think that they would be she'd be very proud of how far that I've come and that I turned, you know, my adversity into something great. And I was able to find the strength in it and find the lesson and the growth and to actually be grateful for it and be grateful for the the path that it kind of paved for me. Oh, nice. Nice answer. Yeah. And I think, that, I think that's one of the biggest sort of, uh, sort of like a key, like a, if you can take that them events, like you said, them adversities or them traumas or whatever it is, it's really a battle. If you can not only just come to a place of acceptance and forgiveness, but make it useful because it's a unique experience that you've had. If you can then put that to use, I've seen in people and in myself that then becomes like fuel and unwires a lot of issues as well. Just mm-hmm. to be because it's useful, and then it's a tool that you've actually had from your own experience, from your own school of life, yeah, and it's almost like graduating. And once you, and then you're going out into the workplace with it, and that seems to be like what you're doing now. So, can you explain a little bit of what you actually are, are doing now with all that experience and how you're sort of being of influence and helping coach people and mentor them? Yes, definitely. <clears throat> so, hold on one second. Um, so in the fall of 2020, so just about 18 months ago, um, I actually healed 12 years of chronic pain that I've had since I was 21. Um, I've always had back pain since I was 21. I threw my back out twice, um, that in like one month and, you know, I would throw it out every one to two times a year. 
And doctors could never figure out why they did x-rays. All they could tell me is that I had bulging discs. So I spent 12 years in pretty excruciating pain. Um, it would come in waves, obviously, and um, no real answers as to why it was happening. And so last summer or the summer of 2020, I started writing in like my little morning manifestation pages that uh, I'm back pain free since 2020. And so I was just kind of putting that out there and trying to figure out why my back was hurting so bad. And so in the fall, I started hearing about how emotional trauma can be stored as physical pain. And when I first heard this, I I kind of thought it was crazy. I I thought there's no way that I I'm storing emotional pain in my body as physical pain because this pain was really bad and really severe. Um, but you know. I was ready to find a way to heal it. And so I was open to the possibility and I ended up in this manifestation course, um, but someone that I had met, you know, online and I thought I was just going to learn, you know, how to be a better manifester and, you know, call in my dreams. And what ended up happening was there was a lot of healing inside of it. There was, you know, inner child meditations, there was um, forgiveness work and cord cutting meditations. So I went on this like four to five week healing journey. My husband was working nights at the time. So I had space after the kids went to sleep to do these meditations on the couch, to sob and cry hysterically and just really release everything. Um, there was a lot of journaling and I wrote, you know, an angry letter to my abuser kind of detailing all that he was making me feel and all of the things that still came up 12 years later, um, you know, how it affected my relationship with my husband, all of these things. And in the letter, you find growth from it. So I would find like the lesson from it. And, you know, the lesson was that it made me stronger. It made me kinder. It made my heart bigger. It made me love deeper and um, doing the Hawaiian forgiveness prayer and so I spent about four to five weeks doing all of these healing um, modalities and I woke up and my back pain was gone <laughs> and it had been 12 years. So mm. yeah. And waking up to it being gone one morning was kind of unbelievable. And so for a little while I, I kind of waited, I waited for it to come back and you know, it didn't come back and the work of my coaches, because I worked with a couple different coaches, one of them, I just did some of her courses on online, but uh, working with these coaches and them healing me and transforming my life in such a big, impactful way, where, you know, nobody else had ever been able to help me. It was just so inspiring to me. So since then, I have been um, working on my own coaching certifications. And healing more and learning more about the online world and the business world and um, expanding further because eventually I want, I want to learn as much as I can about this phenomenon to me of this trauma being stored as the, as physical pain. And so it just motivated me that that's what I want to do. I want to help people. I want to help people heal and I want to help people transform their lives just as these coaches helped me transform my life. Oh, nice. And, you did all that, like I said, and got all that motivation while being a, a full-time mother as well. And you said you, you were the main, you're doing this at nighttime and at home. So it's inspirational to know, like, you know, it wasn't because you went to a five-week retreat and had everything catered to you and the perfect setup. It was done in your spare time that you could make for yourself. Yes. Yeah, it definitely was. And now I wake up in the morning um, before the kids too, and I'm able to focus on myself but yeah I definitely I squeezed it in you know um I was staying up later than I would usually just because I wanted to get all of this work done and it was important to me and you know if something's important to you you'll make the time for it yeah and I think a big buzz someone was asking me that question the other day and they were saying like how much pressure it is to do something and like how do you find that uh motivation and sort of to to do it for yourself and I, and I said to be honest I said it just comes down to your worth and value if you really believe you're worth it 
you'll do it. I said, like a child, it comes down to like self-love and unconditional love. Like when you had your child and it's like one years old, you had no conditions on it, no expectations that, you know, you didn't care if it poos itself or froze up on you. You just don't care. You don't judge it. You don't blame it. You just love it. And it's like when you've loved something that much, you want to do the best for it. And that requires sometimes some work and some effort and pushing. And But that comes with a flow. Did you find that? Do you do any like self-love practices as well? Uh, yeah, so I've done some of those too, um, like doing affirmations in the course. It was like one of the exercises was to do them in the mirror, you know, looking at yourself in the eye until whatever you're saying, your affirmation, until it doesn't feel weird, until it feels normal and natural. And so um, in the morning, I, I kind of switch up my morning routines just on how I'm feeling. But some mornings I'll, you know, I'll write my five pieces of gratitude and then I'll, I'll say 10 affirmations. Um, they're either, you know, about me or about the future that I'm calling in. Um, and then I, you know, I really just pay attention to my body. Um, I make sure that I fuel it with the proper foods. Um, I've got, I've gotten it really good as to what foods make me feel good and which foods make me feel bad. And so I, you know, I practice self-love by feeding myself those foods that make me feel good. As my husband doesn't understand why I'm not eating cheese, but <laughs> for me, it's like, I'd rather my body feel good than, you know, taste the cheese. So I do that. And then, um, I listen to my body. If I'm tired, I go to sleep at eight. And, you know, I don't mind falling asleep in my son's bed with him when we do our meditation at night, <laughs> sleeping nine hours, because if my body needed it, then that's what I'm going to give to it. And, you know, me and my husband, I, I include him in this because he's not one to make time for himself either. So um, on the weekends, I'll be like, hey, I'm going to go to the library and do a couple hours of work on Sunday, do you want to go to the shooting range? And so it's like, we allow each other space to kind of do stuff for ourselves um, because it brings us joy. And then it takes the pressure off of like, well, I don't want to leave you with the kids, <laughs> you know? And we try to spend as much time as we can with each other as a family on the weekend, but we do still need to have our alone time doing the things that bring us joy. And Going to the range and shooting his guns, that's his therapy, you know. He was an army ranger, so <laughs> he likes that. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's how I like to show myself self-love. Oh, nice, yeah, because that's a big part. Like, I do this podcast as a way to connect with people and let other people share their life and experience because I think that's how we grow and learn together. A bit like you said earlier about going to the therapist, like, I'm not saying I disrespect therapists in any way, so disclaimer, and this is not therapist advice or anything like that, no medical advice. But I found that for a lot of people, it's the stories of people that have been through experiences that they can relate to that gives them more insight and a strength and an inspiration. Um, so yeah, I truly appreciate you sharing and, and that, and the self-love tip with the mirror, that's funny because I put on my YouTube channel, that's what I'm saying with my podcast, that's to connect with others. But on my YouTube channel, I share just my own personal development and my growth and my self-love journey. Like the major part of my, my, uh, journey with self-love practices and something I didn't know I wasn't in love with myself I didn't know I had an internal abusive relationship going on um, and I share a lot of that and the mirror the mirror one's one that I share and teaching people like the technique but that can be really powerful and at first when some people hear it they think it's a joke <laughs> yes and, yeah <laughs> and, and I was like I said if you look in the mirror and you look dead in your pupils and you just say I love you and then you measure how that feels and I said if you laugh at yourself I said, that's also an indication that is showing you something. So it's all about, can you say it? And like you said, looking at yourself in your pupils is really powerful. And, um, but no, it's really nice to hear. That's one of the sort of practices that you, you've done and tried. Do you find, do, you're saying with your partner and his life, how, how has he, has he shared with you sort of that transformation that he's noticed in you? Cause you've been together now, I think you said seven to eight years and wow. in the last two years, you had that big shift. What, what has he has he said anything about that, or did he has he recognized it? Yeah, like he he tells me that he's proud of me, and um, and he's he's very supportive. A lot of times, he doesn't really understand <laughs> why I do what I do and why I have these practices. Um, but he supports me and he allows me the space to do it, and tells me that he's proud of me, and things like that. Um, and <laughs> it's really funny. Um, he went to the dentist 
last week for the first time in I think 12 years he just Mm -hmm. hasn't gone to the dentist and uh (laughs) he told me oh I'm going to the dentist and he said something where I was like are you are you making fun of me (laughs) or what (laughs) he's like no he's like you actually inspired me because you've been making all of these positive changes and you've actually inspired me that maybe I should you know grow up and take care of myself too because he's older than me so he's I don't know, 37 or 38. I forget our ages all the time. Um, and so he's like, you, you're inspiring me to, to make these changes and things like that. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yay. Oh, <laughs> nice. yeah. yeah. And I think that can be the best way sometimes because we can try and force things on people and try and uh, do something. But the example that we just set by being our authentic self and, and the change that we make within ourselves is the influence that we create to others in our environment. Like I see the same with Danielle when she does something, it motivates me. I'm like, oh, you know, I don't need to be doing this. Or if I do something, I see that she suddenly does it without me having to say, oh, have you taken care of yourself or pushing them to do it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, in the beginning, because um, we met and we kind of just fell in love so quickly and, you know, we got pregnant within six months. And so uh, then I was pregnant and it was just, kind of a crazy start to a relationship and obviously I still had a lot of healing to do back then and so our relationship was kind of a little bit rocky and you know I thought that it was him that needed all the fixing and all that and I was so focused on that and then once I realized you know what I need to focus on myself and once I started taking better care of myself and my mental health and making those changes Um, our relationship got so much stronger and I think it was just you know a reflection of me and how I felt internally and uh, projecting and so once I just turned inward and started taking care of herself our relationship really really strengthened and got a lot better yeah no I can relate to that definitely like and I think so many people I see it in other people where you can see which one of them's in a say not in a good place internally and how they will be seeing that it's their opposite it's their partner like a mirror reflecting on no it's them doing it they're they're the issue um Mm -hmm. what what led you to that inspiration at that moment to do that course where did you where did you find the course and like where did how did that come even about in your life you know i'm not even sure at this point i'm sure it was some sort of like facebook advertising um that kind of drew me in and uh the summer of 2020 i kind of got into manifesting. I read a book by Gabby Bernstein, The Universe Has Got Your Back. And I I say that that book just sparked my spiritual reawakening because I kind of had renounced my Catholic upbringing when I was like 18 because of the situation that I was in. I kind of was like, what is this? Like I went to Catholic school. The kids made fun of me. They were so mean. And now I'm in this abusive relationship. (laughs) What is God? He doesn't exist. Cause my life is just so awful, you know? Mm. And um, so I was anti-religion for a long time, like seven years. And so I read this book and um, we were planning our big move to Texas and using like one of the spiritual uh, methods that Gabby suggested in her book actually like manifested our dream home the next day. Like we had been frantic trying to find a place. My husband was already leaving in a week to start his new job out here. And me and the kids were going to be home. Um, And then, you know, I did this little practice. And the next day, we signed on a house. Like, we got the the house deal and stuff. So I had been kind of exploring, manifesting, and uh, going deeper into that. And, you know, I was, like, manifesting random uh, checks and getting all of these little signs from the universe and synchronicities. And things were just working out really well. And then that course popped up. And I was like, I want to go deeper. And it was like an eight-week course. I was like, this is perfect. This sounds intense and long. And I hopped right in. And yeah, and that kind of just sparked it all. Oh, nice. Yeah, and it's fascinating what you're saying about sort of detaching from uh, the religion and faith. Because I had the same issue. Like I was telling you, when I was seven, my life was very traumatic. And by the time I was like eight, nine, I'd spent years crying and praying because I came from like a it was like a half Catholic, half Christian upbringing from my remembrance because my nan was from Ireland, so she brought like Catholic, but I think my dad was Christian, although he's from India, so it was even stranger. My Indian family are Christians, um, yeah. but 
yeah so i had been taken to church and these things and i prayed and i prayed and for like some sort of savior or salvation and it never came so it just I, in my view at that point i was like it doesn't exist then as, as my, i got into my teens i was fascinated by people's belief systems and religions and how they could be so sure and i was went in a path where i was just like well i'm so sure that you're all wrong <laughs> that, it, that there's nothing there um yeah whereas now like i said it's like now it's completely changed but i don't belong to any religious system you know i don't need religion to be of faith um and to see life in my own view of what it is and like i said then that for my the easiest way i can put it is the same intelligence that turns a bit of food into my flesh or into waste that you can see in the external world in the whole world has got a process and it's all happening and to see that as there's something bigger than yourself i suppose a life-changing uh, perception for me especially after a couple of decades of thinking the opposite yeah definitely yeah and i i'm not any religion either i'm just i'm spiritual and i just i know there's something bigger than us because every little piece of this world is just so magnificent and incredible. And I just, there, there's more, you know, yeah. where, where can people get a hold of you for your, are you practicing as a coach now or are you still in training? Yes. Yeah. So uh, my business is launched um, and I am taking clients. Uh, I am mostly on Instagram. So it's, at Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-E, underscore Holick, H-O-E-L-C-K. And that's where I spend most of my time. I'm kind of on Facebook, but focusing on the Instagram and making reels now. So if you want to be entertained, go check those out. (laughs) Yeah, how have you found that sharing and putting yourself actually out there online? Like, because I've I've spoke to people with different areas and I went for it myself by starting the YouTube and podcast and Instagram and all them things and putting yourself out there. Like I said, I didn't even want to be on a camera when I was younger at all. And now I'm talking about everything. How did you find that process of your first step of, you know, saying this is what I'm doing and putting it out? Was it an easy process Um, or was it difficult at the beginning? Yeah. So it definitely wasn't easy and it was something that I, I did not want to do. Um, but because I've been so deep in this work and, you know, when the pandemic hit, I was working in a restaurant. So obviously the restaurant closed and I said, I'm never working in a restaurant again. And then we moved here. And so I've been just a stay at home mom. So I have a lot more space to work on myself. Um, and one of my, my big things is push past the fear and, you know, do things that make you uncomfortable because that's where the magic is. It's outside of your comfort zone. And so this last year, like I've just been working on that so much and putting myself out there and doing these things that I don't necessarily want to do, but I know that they're necessary. And I know that something really beautiful can happen as a result of it. And so with that mentality and with the mentality of, I can only really fail if I give up, it just kind of pushes me forward. And (laughs) I actually, I did a Facebook live or it was an Instagram live. And then we hopped on a Facebook live and it was not so great. It was my very first time going live. And, you know, I hopped on and I was kind of frazzled because I was having trouble getting my youngest down for his nap. And (laughs) the first question she asked was like, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from. And I like (laughs) basically started it with like, well, 33 years ago, I was born and I just kind of spiraled. Uh, my face got bright red. I just had like massive anxiety and I was freaking out. And, you know, she kind of drew me in because I was just scrambling. Um, but when we got off of the live, you know, I laughed about it immediately. I was like, well, I was like, that was not so great. I was definitely really nervous. And I don't know if I made any sense because it was kind of like I didn't even remember what I had said. And all I could think about while I was doing it was that I wanted it to be over and to get out. And, you know, my heart was racing. And during it, I was trying to practice like breathing and calming myself down and trying to relax. And so after immediately, I was able to laugh about it. Whereas a few years ago, I would have felt so embarrassed for God days and then probably never done it again, you know? Yeah. But I, I immediately was like, that wasn't good, but I did it for the first time and it's only going to get better and get better. And, you know, I've been showing up on podcasts. I've been doing lives with other people. I've been doing lives on my own. I've been doing these reels and just being myself and being really authentic. And 
it's great and I love it and I'm I'm glad that I'm doing it and you know it's going to be uncomfortable but it's okay <laughs> you know like I just I have this mentality that it's just it's going to be okay you know you can always learn and grow from it and it's in the past you can't change it now right it's already happened yeah and like you said if uh, the sooner you can switch that to what did I learn if it doesn't feel like it went the smoothest <laughs> yeah. like what can I learn how can I make that a bit smoother next time the big part for me during sort of that process and other processes was realizing the anxiety and the difference between excitement because they can be very similar like your heart can race you can get tingles you can feel uncomfortable but I had to I rewired and said you know what I think that's actually excitement I didn't yeah. know I was excited <laughs> that yeah. being a foreign feeling as well and it's like yeah but no it's yeah. We're getting to the very end of the show, and I really appreciate your time. And I know you said you've got your, uh, your children around. Are they, you said, did you have to, did, where are they right now? They went to the pet store to pick up some food for our snakes. You got snakes? We have three snakes. <laughs> three snakes. What what, yes. what made you choose snakes? Um, My husband loves snakes. He had snakes growing up. Um, His dad's best friend is Steve the Snake Man. <laughs> he bred snakes. So... Um, we got a snake, well, we got a lizard for our, our youngest when he was around four and then we caught a snake. Well, the snake broke into the house when we were living in San Diego and then we kept it for a little bit and then we let it go cause it didn't seem like it was thriving. And so my, my son wanted another snake and we ended up getting a ribbon snake. And I said, I don't want a snake that eats mice because they would feed the other snake. And it was like super traumatizing for me. And I, I had a little bit of uh, postpartum anxiety at the time. So I was like, I don't need anything that's more triggering for my anxiety yeah. right now. So we got a ribbon snake and it eats little feeder fish. And so we still have that snake. And then um, they went to a reptile show a few months back. And so the ribbon snake, you can't really hold it. It's very small and thin and fast. And every time like I take it out, it pees on me. And I'm like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to hold it if it's just going to be on me. And so it's not very chill. So they, my husband decided to get my son a python, a ball python, because they're very nice. They're chill. They live a long time and um, they kind of just hang out with you. And so they went to the reptile show, came home with a python and they're like babies. They're only like a couple months old. And I was holding it and <laughs> all day long, me and my, my six-year-old, we were fighting over who got to hold the snake. <laughs> and so my husband was like, do you need a snake? Do you need your own and I was like, no, it's fine. And Carter was like, can you, my son, he was like, can you just get your own so that you stop holding my snake? <laughs> and so we went back to the reptile show the next day and we got um, a female. So the first one he named, my son named Joey. And, you know, obviously the other snake, who's a girl, we had a name Phoebe. So we have Joey and Phoebe are two ball pythons. <laughs> okay. No. You know, I, I, I had a uh, royal python um, when I was like 15, I think I was, I got to like five foot, but yeah, it was really wow. like, you could hold it in your hands or put it around your neck. Um, yeah. And then someone gave me an identical snake because they couldn't look after it. And I ended up with two and I ended up giving them to someone who was just better management with snakes who could give it a better time basically. Cause I was still young myself and I felt bad for it. <laughs> but so it went to it went to a nicer place someone who had i don't know how many snakes like 30 snakes or something crazy wow um, but that's where it ended up but it, yeah it was really interesting experience to to be in the presence of a snake they actually i found really calming yes what's funny is that i i feel like i'm meditating when i hold her and like a lot of times i'll hold her at night and i just sit there and i hold her and i just like pet her with one finger because she's still pretty little and it's very relaxing and very calming. And I just like take that as space to uh, kind of just sit with my thoughts. Cause I don't do that a lot because I've got the kids that I'm running around and I'm always learning something new. So I've always got trainings that I'm doing and I don't take a lot of time to just kind of sit with my thoughts or, and not on my computer or my phone. And so, yeah, holding her is like meditative for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and what i find fascinating with snakes is um now that i'm older i didn't weren't thinking about this when i had the snake when i was younger but i've heard like yogis and different people gurus talk about the because we're say like the the vibration and what your say frequency or intention set on and they're saying like there's all these legends of these gurus and 
people that would go into the into the jungle and they would meditate for hours and hours and all the snakes would come and sit around them because they sensed their vibration as calming and they would come to sit there which I always oh, thought wow. was fascinating and they're saying thing. And that's where the so- and see if I can call the snakes to me <laughs> yeah if you can get yourself relaxed enough and set off the right vibration because they, they sense and feel in vibration but apparently oh. that's uh stories yeah. I heard that was fascinating that's I have great. just a few short little questions i ask every guest at the end of the show to finish up they're just fun quick answer questions nothing too much have you got time for them yeah of course yeah so first question if you had to choose one a cat or a dog oh this is hard um (laughs) i would say cat because right now we've got dogs and the the puppy's been destroying everything (laughs) so i'm gonna go with cat right now okay what's your favorite color sparkly pink (laughs) Nice. Uh, and what what excites you? What what gives you energy and motivates you? Um, I would say really like helping other people, just my friends in general. Like if they ask me a question and I give them some advice and they actually, you know, take it and implement it and just watching them shift, that really excites me. Oh nice. And what does the opposite? What drains your energy? What turns you off? Um trying to like put things together um like if something is stuck or like any sort of like puzzle thing (laughs) not like an actual puzzle um like yesterday I had to take off the car seat uh cover because my son threw up all over it and trying to get that off of there (laughs) was very frustrating so figuring out those things (laughs) okay and what, what sound or noise do you love hmm I would say like waterfalls. Oh, nice. What sound and noise do you not love so much? Um, neighbors, dogs that <laughs> yap a lot. <laughs> yeah. What do you love about yourself? I love that I'm always learning. I love that. I love that I'm always growing. Nice. And what do you love to see in others? kindness nice and very last question what do you love about animals now this can be pets or it can be animals in the wild um i i love that they're just natural like that's just how they are (laughs) nice yeah just the authenticity of them as they are Yeah. Um, nice. It's been beautiful to hear your story, and I really truly appreciate you sharing and your openness and authenticity yourself. Like you've been very open, and it's beautiful when people are. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you. Um, have a beautiful. You've got the whole day ahead of you. I'm actually going to walk now. My I've got a dog and five cats, and we all go for a walk together. So right now, I'm about to go and you take, take the them cats for a walk. walk. Yep. Oh <laughs> they God, all fo- all all off lead. And they all follow. I've got a mum and rescued a cat and she gave birth to a load of kittens a month later. Uh, we thought we had rehomed them and it's now three years later. We have them all. So we've got a little family of cats, her mum, oh, her two amazing. daughters and her two sons and yeah, and a dog. <laughs> We're going to go for a little walk through the woods. That's amazing. Well, you enjoy that. <laughs> I will. Enjoy the rest of your day and yeah, say hello to your husband and your, your children for me. Have a beautiful day. You as well. Thank you. Right, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for being here and listening to The Selfish Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Greenheart, and I appreciate you being here. Don't forget to check out my YouTube channel. Just search Luke Greenheart on YouTube. You'll find me. Check out my website, lukegreenheart.com. Have an amazing day and stay tuned for more episodes. I'll be interviewing guests on their path of self-development, their path to self, getting to know them in much more intimacy, much more depth, sharing and connecting with all so we can have a much more blissful, joyful and productive life together. All right, much love. Have a great day.